Hi, my name is Megan Smalley and I'm with Recycling Today Magazine. Welcome to the Fresh Perspective podcast. I'm here today with Aideen Quinn, who is the Director of Business Development and Procurement at EFS Plastics, Inc. Aideen has been working in the recycling industry for about the past 10 years. Her first job in the industry was with Sims Metal Management as its Education and Outreach Manager for about five years. She also spent almost two years at Canada Fibers as its Communications and Outreach Manager. She joined EFS Plastics in Ontario about three years ago. So thanks for coming on the show today, Dean. How's it going? Great. Yeah, how are you doing? Pretty good. So to start things off, tell us a little bit about how you got into the recycling industry and what were you doing before coming to the recycling space? Sure. So I was doing my master's degree in biology and uh, towards the end of my degree, I was spending a lot of time in my office by myself looking at data that was very fun to collect, but it was it was a lot of work to analyze all of it. And I really was feeling like I needed to, rather than just look at the data about, you know, the, the trees that I was studying, I wanted to get out and talk to people about why they should care about conserving the environment and thinking about things that will be good for our planet. So I started volunteering in Toronto with a a nonprofit that did recycling education. It was it was fascinating to get get involved in the recycling industry. And, you know, I loved being able to answer the questions of, can my pizza box be recycled? Uh, uh, What should I do with my, I don't know, toilet paper roll, all those random things. And then when I started to look for a job after my degree, I I was talking to my sister, Maite Quinn, and she mentioned that there was an opportunity where she was working. And I was like, yeah, but you work in, in waste. I don't know that I'm interested in that. And she's like, wait, but haven't you been volunteering in the recycling industry for the last year? And I, I suddenly connected that the work that she did was actually very similar to the work that I was interested in doing. And, and yeah, that's how I first got a, an opportunity to apply to the Sims position. And um, yeah, to really put my interest in the environment into, into application through trying to convince people to keep their materials in circulation rather than just dispose of everything in a landfill. Now, you started your career more in education, outreach roles, whereas today you're more focused on business development and procurement at EFS Plastics. So what was it like transitioning from more of an education and outreach role into business development a couple of years ago? Yeah, so um, I was really uh, lucky during my time at Sims Metal Management. I was working with uh, the general manager at the time is Tom Outerbridge. And he was absolutely fantastic at making sure that I was exposed to the whole business. So yes, my my role was to educate children and um, brands about recycling, but Tom made sure that I really understood the business. So whether I had a question about how the optical sorter worked, Tom would take the time to really make sure I, I understood the ins and outs of it. Or when one of our colleagues had to take some time off in the logistics department, Tom you know, asked me to take over that, even though I had no experience in that. And just by having the opportunity to jump in and to start dealing with some of the sales and the purchasing, um, it really, it taught me so much. Great. And then the last couple of years, you've been over at EFS Plastics. So tell me a little bit about your role there. What do you do for the company on a day-to-day basis? What's the culture like? Sure. So when I first was hired at EFS, I was doing all of the purchasing, so all of the raw material that came into our facility. I was connecting with the MRFs 
and the post-consumer suppliers purchasing the three through seven mixed plastic bales, the polypropylene, the film plastic bales. Yeah, so that was a great opportunity to work with a lot of the MRFs I, I knew already from working at places like Sims and Canada Fibers. And and yeah, at, and at both of those facilities, we were in touch with, with EFS. So I knew I knew very well what EFS did and it was it was great to be kind of on the other end of it when I finally started working there. And today I'm still overseeing some of the work done on the procurement side, but I am also involved in business development. So any new projects we're working on in terms of expanding our ability to accept in new materials or even on some of our circular sales applications. So if it's a, a customer that we might be able to sell post-consumer resin to, but maybe we can also help them with their recycling goals of bringing in their waste materials and turning it into a new product, that, that's a really wonderful opportunity for a company like EFS. Awesome. And what are some unique things about EFS plastics from you know, other plastics reprocessors out there? I think the most unique thing about EFS is its ability to handle contaminated film. So specifically, EFS does a lot of work on film generated from MRFs. In Canada, film has been collect collected curbside for quite a long time. And EFS has been one of the primary end markets for Canadian curbside film. EFS is really set up to handle some of the more contaminated streams. We bring in bales and it goes through a fully automated process. We don't have any people hand sorting through the material. It is fully automated. And that's that's one of our strengths that we don't have to rely on people to show up. And also it's it's obviously such a hard job to deal with rummaging through what whatever someone decided was recyclable. There can be some there can be some nasty stuff in there. <laughs> and um yeah, the fact that it's automated really reduces exposure to some of those materials and, and just keeps the process more predictable and consistent. Now, one trend that we've noticed is more brands are making recycled content commitments. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. How has that impacted business for EFS Plastics, if at all? And yeah, what does that look like moving forward in the future? Yeah, it's it's really wonderful um, that the the brands are fully engaged with looking for ways to incorporate post-consumer resin into their products. But still today, the vast majority of, of our sales are into products that don't necessarily advertise that they include post-consumer resin. Really, the majority of post-consumer resin or PCR that moves to market today is sold as a, a cheaper alternative to Virgin. Right now, on April 12th, the price of Virgin is, is still quite high. So in this market, it, it's, it's a great time to be a recycler. Uh, it, there's plenty of room to, to create a margin that, that you can comfortably do your, do your recycling process. But we know that the price of a Virgin resin will decline and that will make things much more difficult. Uh, so the markets that we sell into today, they are they're looking for a, a high quality material that will be cheaper than the version that they're looking for. 
most of the customers today are not necessarily looking for specifically post-consumer resin. So I bring this up because the brands are now actually looking for post-consumer resin, which is very exciting. But still today, they are exploring their options. They're doing a lot of trials. They're not yet buying colored, non-food grade PCR in, in very large volumes. There's a lot of demand for that clear food grade material, but if your material is colored and it's not food grade, there's, there's much more limited end markets available for that material. Got it, and this is kind of a follow-up question to that, but is there enough supply out there for all of these um, recycled content commitments that use PCR? Is that going to be an issue in the future? Well, and of course, it, you know, the, the commitments are 25% by 2025, and the commitments don't say for which specific application. And so there's a lot of uh, wiggle room for the brands to be creative about how they meet those goals. And I think at this point, as they're trying to explore ways to meet those goals, the brands would obviously like to find a material they could easily swap in today where they wouldn't have to change very much in their their packaging appearance, um, in their production lines. And the the easiest material to swap in, again, is that clear food grade PCR. And there is a very limited availability of clear food grade. But there is a lot of colored non-food grade. So there's a there's definitely a disconnect between the supply that's available and the demand that the brands have right now. Thankfully, it seems like there might just be more of a a miscommunication or or just a misalignment of priorities right now that when the brands actually have to start getting close to those targets by 2025, they might be willing to be a little bit more creative. And that's when I think they'll be looking more at the colored material that is available. And I know there's there's interest in the brands for, I've heard brands say things like, if only the recyclers would invest more so that they could produce more of what we're looking for, which is clear and food grade. But as a post-consumer recycler, we are receiving what people put into the recycling bin. And people put, <laughs> what they put into the recycling bin is produced by the brands and it is colored. <laughs> and once the material is colored, you can't remove that color. So color, it seems like a small thing. It seems like a, a secondary type concern. It really is a, a very limiting factor. Once something is a red, that can never be used in a yellow product. So we really do have to think of if a brand has a black package, they need to include as much PCR as possible in that package. That is um, something that we can supply readily. Even a dark blue can present some challenges. It's certainly a lot easier than a light blue, but but any, any very specific color match is more challenging for a recycler to produce. And with more challenging, then it's more costly. Um, there, overall, there, there is a disconnect between the supply that's available and the demand. Got it. So you're talking a little bit about the, the color issue, like brands want that clear HDPE per se, just to, you know, use in their products as PCR, but then that's a challenge because you guys get a lot of the, you know, 
tied detergent bottles that are tied orange. So I guess, have you had conversations with brand owners on that issue on trying to integrate more of this colored HGV or colored PCR to use? Yeah. So the brands, especially in the last few years, have been very engaged in with what they need to do. And, um, you know, at a consumer packaging goods company, those are very large companies. So what the sustainability director wants to do might be different than what the marketing director wants to do. And more and more, we are getting involved in conversations that we have both sides at the table. And that's really important so that everyone has to look at how are we going to get over these obstacles as we face them. So we will need the marketing managers to think about if they can broaden their color spectrum that they can accept. We will have to find ways to do more color separation. The sustainability director might need to think about other packaging types that could include PCR that don't, they're not thinking of today. Um, there's going to have to be a lot of give and take and uh, um, a lot of exploration, but we are seeing more of the departments coming to the meetings and understanding, trying to understand what the challenges are so that we can come up with solutions to move forward. Now, what are some challenges you would say that you face in your career and how did you overcome those and what did you learn through those experiences? I guess, so this is maybe my career and my personal life, um, but my husband and I were long distance relationship for a long time and he was in Canada, I was in the US and you're thinking about how are we gonna live in the same country? That might be a nice thing for um, husband and wife to do. <laughs> and we decided that I was gonna find a job in, in Canada and I didn't specifically have many connections in Canada, but I you know, figured I have some skills to offer, I will figure out a way to get to Canada. And um, there was a lot of cold calls. There was a lot of calling people who knew someone who knew someone. And, you know, over about six months, I, I did find an opportunity that was a great fit at Canada Fibers. It was just a good lesson for me to kind of know that if there's something you need that's going to, you know, enhance your life professionally and personally, you can make it happen. You just have to think outside the box, connect with people that you know, might be able to introduce you to the right person. So I was really proud of my ability to improve my life professionally and personally and uh, move to the great white north. <laughs> so also, what do you see as the biggest issues impacting the recycling industry today? And why would you say that is? So impacting the recycling industry as a whole, I don't know that there's lots of things, but <laughs> maybe I'll just focus on the issue that I see as our biggest challenge today from the perspective of, of EFS plastics would be, so the, a lot of the brands have commitments for, for using recyclable packaging. So they're all moving towards changing their non-recyclable packaging to a recyclable package. And that's absolutely a wonderful goal, goal in theory. And when it comes to let's say you had a PVC bottle and you want to switch to a PET bottle, terrific. There's no one that's going to have a problem with that. That, that, is, that is a really wonderful change that needs to happen. But when we get into things like multi-material films, it becomes much more complicated. Multi-material film is a wonderful packaging type. It can keep 
foods fresh for literally years, <laughs> that reduces food waste. It's, it's really a marvel <laughs> of science. But it is not recyclable in the traditional sense today. And there's a lot of brands who are moving towards trying to make a monomaterial film that could replace these multi-material films. And that's a wonderful goal. But when we start getting into the weeds of it, usually it's not purely polyethylene film that they end up producing. There might be some type of barrier layers. And there's a lot of debate about how much barrier layer can be there, what type of barrier it is. And from our perspective, as a post-consumer film recycler, we are already seeing very large volumes of contamination in film streams today. The idea of designing a package that we know is going to have contamination in it, built into it, doesn't make any sense to me. If we're, <laughs> we have to make those, we have to design those packages to be as recyclable as possible because they're entering a stream that has very limited end markets and is already too contaminated. So it's a tough one because we want to applaud the goal of moving from non-recyclable to recyclable, but the film recycling industry is just not prepared to take on additional types of contamination. And it's a very fine balance. And we are prepared to, to keep engaging on that topic. Um, but we just, we, we need more people to understand that we're not trying to be difficult on this. <laughs> it's just, we need, if we are going to stay involved in film recycling for a long time to come, we need to be reducing the amount of contamination that enters the stream um, from all angles, from the residents to the design. It's, it's very important to, to try to improve our ability to recycle more film. So you were mentioning there that monomaterial can be challenging. Would you say it's just as challenging as multi-material or more than, or about the same or a little bit better? Where does it fall on that scale? Yeah, so it, it all comes down to what you mean by monomaterial. And yeah, if it's, if it's truly all low density polyethylene um, and you don't have a barrier layer, then that, that, that's perfect. But if it's mostly polyethylene, but it has an 8% of the structure is some type of barrier, then to me, that's not a monomaterial pouch anymore. And, and yeah, it depends what type of barrier you, you're using. And yeah, it, it all comes down to the nitty gritty details and it can be really, really difficult to manage from all, from all angles, from our side, from the brands that are trying to do the right thing. We just gotta keep talking got to keep debating. We'll get there eventually. Awesome. Yeah, it definitely sounds like an evolving discussion over time. So definitely applaud you guys for that. And then perhaps tied to the issue of designing for recyclability, you know, another thing that brands are looking at is legislation. And I know a lot of plastics recyclers are looking at legislation surrounding extended producer responsibility or EPR, as a lot of people call it. Uh, and then advanced or chemical recycling. So what is your take on some of these proposed legislation out there? Is there anything that is either concerning you or that you think will really help the recycling industry overall? Well, you've mentioned the EPR legislation and that's one that I'm very excited about 
mostly just the fact that we are actually having this conversation. I was at a conference, I think it was only three years ago, and I mentioned to someone that EPR was very common in Canada and that it had existed for you know at least a decade. And in talking about it, when the pers person responded to me about EPR, they whispered the letters EPR because it was so forbidden that anyone mentioned EPR. <laughs> and now there's very promising legislation in New York and Maine, a few other states. So it's really exciting to me to hear people thinking about it critically and, and moving things forward. And EPR absolutely is not a single uh, set of rules. It is, it can be very, very different. What they have in Europe is very different than what they have in British Columbia, what they have in Ontario. Every jurisdiction has a very different way of approaching it. So there's good ways to do it and there's bad ways to do it. I think the proposals in New York and Maine are exciting. I don't see anything terribly wrong with them. Um, but but yeah, it'll come out. It'll you know we'll have to see what the final final bill that passes looks like. And I am quite optimistic that that they will pass. Overall, I think EPR is a good thing for the work that we're doing as plastic reclaimers. We see municipalities in Canada focus on reclaiming some of the lower value plastics like film, like three through seven. They are less financially strapped than some of the MRFs in the States. So that allows them to, to recover some materials that might be going to landfill in the States. So I think that that's a very, that's a very good thing. And yeah, other piece of the EPR legislation that I think is exciting are these eco-modulation fees. Within that category of eco-modulation fees, the Maine and New York bills both have opportunities for, for brands who use post-consumer resin in their products to pay a reduced fee for the, um, because they're using recycled content. And, and that's a really important driver for the demand for PCR. So yeah, you're talking about legislation that's proposed in Maine and New York around EPR. So how do those bills differ from what is already existing in Canada or other parts of the world? And where do you see most of the differences related to EPR legislation? Well, I think the most important difference that uh, I would like to make people aware of is the ability to foster competition. So in the British Columbia model, for example, there's basically one super organization that is responsible for the recycling for the full province. And that organization kind of oversees uh, how all of the municipal material is handled. And that's very different than, for example, the Quebec model, which basically allows companies to continue operating as they did before EPR, but just kind of pumps more money into the system. So brand money is is given to these to these MRFs to continue operating. And and yet the ability to have different MRFs and reclaimers competing against each other is very important. I wouldn't like to see that removed by an EPR system. And although the British Columbia system is very harmonized, every town in the province follows the same rules, 
it's very clear which items go in, which don't. There are some trade-offs, of course, with the fact that it reduces competition. So there's ways to balance it. I think any bill proposed in the United States will encourage competition, just as the American way. But yeah, it's it's one America's in a wonderful place that it has the opportunity to look at what's been done in Europe and Canada for a long time and learn. So I think the the bills proposed in US look really strong and I think will will really enhance the recycling program and get us closer to recovering more material. Awesome. And as a final question, where do you see the recycling industry or more specifically plastics recycling heading in the next five years? Um, or what would you like to see happen in the next five years? So I would like to see it explode. There's so much potential. Everyone hears that number of only 9% of plastic is recovered in the United States. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> we obviously cannot just incrementally change that. We have to really think about some drastic changes to our current system that will allow us to get closer to 75% recycled. There's, there's no excuse for 9% recovery. That, that, that can't happen anymore. There's a lot of interest right now. I hope that keeps growing. But of course, people are, are fickle and uh, attention will be drawn in other directions. Right now, there's a lot of attention on plastic. And as plastic recyclers, we have to keep it there. I think there's just, there's so much work to be done. We need all the smart people we can get <laughs> um, to be thinking about this challenge of how to recover more material, finding ways to keep every drop of plastic out of the natural environment is absolutely unacceptable when there's plastic in the natural environment. And to me, one of the most important ways to, to keep plastic out of the natural environment is to place a, a high value on, on post-consumer resin. And we can do that by the brands sticking to their commitments to use PCR and by more legislation or requirements around using PCR. We have to build a strong demand for PCR if we're gonna keep that material in circulation and prevent it from being sent to landfill, being lost as pollution. And I think a lot of those discussions are happening now. There is a lot of discussion around PCR legislation. A few states are have it, have proposed PCR legislation and they seem likely to pass. New Jersey, Washington, Oregon are all looking at have pending PCR legislation right now. And yeah, I hope I hope some of those go through and I hope additional legislation will come to the table that will all increase the value of PCR, which I think is what is needed in order to start tackling the enormous problem of all the plastic that is, is lost today. Awesome, well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Dean, appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, that was fun.